Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Aaron Kruger with Synergy Realty Network in Brentwood, Tennessee. Last year, she closed 352 transactions with a total sales volume of $80 million. Her average sales price was $227,000, of which 80% were buyers and 20% were sellers. She has a seven-member team, two buyer agents, one listing manager buyer agent, one transaction manager, one operations and marketing manager, one closing coordinator, and one team leader. Aaron Kruger is the team leader of the Aaron Kruger team. She's been an agent for 10 years and works the Nashville and Middle Tennessee market. In this call, Aaron talks about moving to a new town where she did not know anyone and starting from scratch, spending the first seven years building up her solo agent practice to selling 70 homes in one year by herself, quadrupling her production in one year from 70 closings to 298 closings by building a team focusing on high-quality customer service to make raving fans, creating an environment of open communication with clients that develops a deep level of trust and results in massive referrals, making herself and her team available to answer any and all client questions, putting your client in the driver's seat and telling them you can go as fast or as slow as you want. Combining a systems and processes approach with a human hand-holding approach. Finding off-market homes for your buyer clients before everyone else in a fast-moving market using ninja tactics. Launching a listing into the market over the weekend and generating multiple offers. Handling low appraisals working with a buyer or working with a seller. Structuring a vendor contract with a trial period for an easy exit team dynamics, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Aaron. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me. Hey, Erin. It's great to have you here. Erin, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Yeah, I was actually a corporate executive. I was in advertising and marketing. Originally from Pennsylvania, I relocated here to Nashville probably about 15 years ago. And I was in advertising working at a boutique firm specializing in luxury um, jewelry and footwear. And at that time, I had gotten a phone call. I was at my desk and I had gotten recruited to do marketing and advertising for a children's toy company at that time, which was really cool and awesome experience to be as young as I was at the time to be able to be this marketing manager for this children's toy company. But I didn't realize that I would be taking calls at 2 a.m. with factories in China, and it was a lot different than I thought it would be. And I had always been interested in real estate. I grew up on a farm. My parents always bought real estate. 
And so I did, started doing that in Nashville on a very small scale and decided to get my license just as an investor, not necessarily to sell residential real estate. And I was really getting burnout in the corporate world and having my real estate license. The market was fantastic at the time. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go into real estate. And at that point, I never looked back. And I've been in real estate full time ever since. And what year was that that you got your license? That was in 2006. 2006. So let's see, how long have you been in the business now? About 10 years? Yep, just over 10 years. Do I understand correctly that at some point you got an MBA? Yes, I did. Yep, from University of Maryland. And when did that happen? Did that happen before you got into real estate or after you got in real estate? No, during the recession, I decided uh, to put myself through school. I just really believe that knowledge is power. I'm a type of person who is always reading business books in my spare time, trying to take educational courses, whether it's real estate related or growing my business or marketing or whatever it may be. So this was an opportunity during the downtime of the real estate market. Even though I was a full-time agent, I put myself through school with no intention that this was going to give me some promotion because I am my own boss. It was strictly just to better myself and thereby, I truly believe, giving a better experience to my clients down the road. And I think that that's what's happened in my business. Let me ask you a quick question about that. Do you think that the principles you learned in the MBA program have helped you develop your real estate business? Absolutely, without a doubt. My business is a business, and I look at it every single day that way. I have a P&L, a profit and loss. I know exactly what I'm spending on every single listing that I have. I look at it as a return on an investment, as we all should. Sometimes we can not keep a close eye on our numbers, and that's where we make a mistake. This is an incredible business, and if you know what your numbers are on your balance sheet, you can be extremely successful. It doesn't mean that you don't make compromises as agents to get the deals done. I do it on a daily basis. But I always know how much I'm setting aside for marketing dollars or whatever it may be for a luxury listing or a listing that I know is going to sell over the weekend. So there's different plans that I put in place for every single listing that I have. How often do you review that P&L? Probably on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. Wow. So it's getting recalculated every week and you're taking a look, say, every week or every two weeks. Absolutely. And we have some developments right now that we are going to be marketing. And, you know, we have everything down to the penny on a spreadsheet of what is budgeted, what is actual, you know, and I know sometimes what the budgeted and what the actual can have a little bit of a surprise here or there, depending upon what time of the year you're getting signage or technology that we're going to put in place or whatever. Um, so I'm always kind of keeping my eye on that with, you know, kind of a percentage increase where I know it could go over 10, 20% or, and I kind of build that in and pad that in accordingly. So there isn't a surprise. And then there's also opportunities where I say, no, we don't need to do that. That's not necessary. It's not in the budget. And actually sticking to my guns because at the end of the day, we're in business to make money and to put food on the table for our families and things like that. And so we have to look at each thing 
as an opportunity and what we're going to derive from each opportunity in front of us. Are there certain metrics that you're looking for, trends that you're looking at on that P&L each time you review it, things that give you an early indication that things are going well or things are going bad? Well, obviously, in a really fast-moving market such as Nashville, you know, we're doing extremely well on the P&L because things are selling very quickly. However, being very smart about any property, and we have properties that right now are listed 175 all the way up to 1.55 right now. And so, obviously, the $1.55 million property is going to take longer days on market. So that plan is way more extensive and a lot more marketing dollars are behind it. So we're always looking at ways that we can get buyers to the door. Or on the other hand, if we're working with a buyer, how can we get that property for that specific buyer ahead of the curve, ahead of everybody else, be the first one in the door, take a sneak peek. So they do not have to pay above market value for the property. Well, Aaron, what I want to do now is flash back to when you first got your license uh, a little over 10 years ago. And my question is, did you have a fast start or a slow start that very first year? Well, I have to say it was a pretty good time in real estate in 2006. This is before the recession. And it was a time when things were selling and people were moving into Nashville. And uh, I was blessed with a lot of business, a lot of people who get their license first year, they have friends and they're like, oh yeah, I want to buy a house. I want you to help me. So I had that beginner's luck, so to speak. Noticing though, in year two and three, there is definitely a little bit of a slowdown. But for me, I took that time to recalculate, readjust, and really kind of crunch numbers and figure out where I wanted to spend my marketing dollars. And I think that has led how I operate even today, just about looking at everything where I'm advertising. Is that a good use of my marketing dollars? I get phone calls like many agents who I'm sure are listening every day of a new lead service, of a new advertising thing, of a new SEO concept, of a new, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And you really have to be very critical on when you're being pitched these things because before you know it, everything could be gone. So you have to do things that are going to work and you have to scrutinize every little marketing effort that you do. And if it's not working, you need to be able to pivot and you need to be able to change gears. That's got to be kind of hard to pivot when you're already focused on one direction. Do you have any recommendations for someone that knows they need to pivot, but they can't get themselves out of the original rut? Well, for me, for example, when I came down to Nashville 15 years ago, I didn't know anybody. So my approach to real estate was not my farm. I didn't have a farm. I didn't have that sphere of influence here in Nashville. So I was working with people who were relocating in. And I found that because I was using companies that were providing leads at that time, I was able to quickly weed out in the first 30 days whether this was working for me or not. So even to this day, I've put a clause in there where I'm not locked in, in any situation. So if if 30 days, if I'm not seeing anything, because I know that I'm a type of person that when I get a lead, I'm immediately calling them. I'm doing what I need to do to secure it. But if they're not qualified leads and they're not great, then I will cease the contract and move on. I don't need to be spending money where it's not going to bring me business. 
And so that's why I'm just talking about pivoting. Being able to put yourself in a position to do business is key, but you've got to be able to cut the cord when it's not working and go do something else. That's pretty smart, that 30-day out that you're putting into your contract with your marketing vendors. Pretty smart idea. Yeah, it's helped save a lot of money. I think you learn the hard way when you sign a contract and you're stuck there paying for three months or six months, whatever it may be. And I think that's what the real estate business really is, is you learn a lot. Uh, the books in class teach you one dimension, real life in front of your clients, moving trucks, deadlines, deaths, divorce, everything else that goes with real estate, being immersed in people's lives. You really need, there's that real world sense of business as well that we have to take in making decisions that are going to work well for you. Well, let's give the folks a little bit more information. You've really grown your business. Last year, how many homes did you sell and what was the sales volume? Last year, we sold 352 homes worth nearly $80 million. Wow, that is spectacular. Now, the year prior to that, you were really fortunate. You were listed as number 15 in the nation by the Wall Street Journal and Real Trends. And that was pretty exciting stuff. Now, what kind of numbers did you do in that year? We had 344 units that we sold. It was right around, I believe, like $64 million at that time. That's amazing. And my understanding as well, and I'm sorry I'm bragging on you a little bit, but I'm pretty excited. I think you just got an award in the last week or so down there in Nashville. Could you tell us what that was? Yeah, I belong to the Greater Nashville Real Sports Association here in town, and I was named the uh, top agent for a team for sales. So we had the most transactions, and that's for the 2016 calendar year. So that was very, very exciting. We talked right before the call, and, and I got to see a little bit of your trending. So in 2015, you sold the 344. The year prior, in 2014, you sold 298. But the year before that, in 2013, you only sold 70 homes. And my understanding is you were a one-woman shop. You were doing everything on your own. What changed between 2013 when you sold 70 homes and 2014 when you jumped all the way up to almost 300 homes? Well, I started a team very slowly at first with just one person. And then a month or so later, another person. But I was blessed with a lot of business that was dropped into my lap, so to speak. And being an old farm girl from Pennsylvania, I look at every opportunity and I say to myself, number one, can I do this? Can I deliver really good service to this client? And if I feel as though I can deliver 110% to them, I will go for that client, whether it's a investor client, whether it's a luxury client, first-time home buyer, whatever. I look at every single one because for me, I never want that experience with that buyer to dwindle. I want them to be a raving fan and tell their sister, brother, colleague, you name it, about myself and my team. So that was really, really important. So when I had that jump, doing the volume before that by myself, I was running myself ragged, to be honest. And I was a road warrior and I was always on the road doing a million things at once. And I always heard when you hire on, you can grow your business even more. And it's kind of one of those things where you're so busy and you're like, well, do I even want to grow my business more? I mean, I'm so busy right now. But they were very right in that old saying because when I started to have a contract to close, 
coordinator on my team and hire a buyer's agent and then grow from there, it allowed me to be the rainmaker of my team and to create more and more opportunities. But the biggest thing that I learned was to hire correctly. And I think that goes back to my corporate background. And I am a big believer in the disc profile and having team members not only interview, but do the disc profile so I can see where they would be best suited on my team, but also where and how I should respond to them with feedback or even with other clients. Because I can, even though I'm not having clients do the disc profile, I can peg where they are if they're analytical or whatever, and who might mesh well with them on my buyer roster. So that's really, really important. And I think that the psychological element of real estate with the growth, hiring the right team has led to a lot of the success that my team has had. So you were basically about seven years in before you brought in any team members to help you. Do I have that correct? That is correct. And you were doing about 70 homes a year all by yourself running crazy. That's an incredible amount of volume for one person to do. And here's the question I want to ask. You now have a big team. You're running strong. You're doing a lot of volume. And people think, well, you're not going to be as profitable. You might have gained some time, but you'll lose profit. So the question is, are you making more profit today, let's say last year, at closing 352 homes versus the profits you're making running by yourself at a super high level at 70 homes closed a year? Which one have more profit? Which one have more take-home pay? Oh, for me, I mean, the larger volume that you have, more take-home you have. But I also believe as a team lead to keep your team very happy. And whether that's through positive reinforcement, whatever it may be, team building opportunities. I just got back to Mexico. I took all my team members to Mexico for Christmas in February. We all just went down. And for those ladies who work so hard on my team to sit under a cabana, put their toes in the sand and relax a little bit and say, well done, ladies. A lot of team members and a lot of team leads don't do that. I'm so appreciative to the hard work and dedication and the loyalty that they give me every single day. I always wanted to be that boss, that team lead that I would want. I always believe that you treat others how you want to be treated. And that stems from when they work for you. It doesn't mean that there's not a reality check. If something's offbeat, we will have a talk. Absolutely. My standards are very high. But by hiring the correct people and for them to be on the same wavelength that you are, to have the same vision is incredibly important for success and for your goals. And I think that I have put together a team that has the same vision, that takes self-ownership in every transaction that we do. And I am extremely lucky and incredibly blessed to be able to have the team that I have. When you closed the 352 homes last year, how many buyer agents did you have on your team? Three. You had three buyer agents, and my understanding is about 80% of your business last year was on the buyer side. Is that correct? It is, yes. And I also deal with buyers as well. So if you count me, it would also be four. So I'm estimating there about 275 buyer transactions with three buyer agents and yourself. 
they're very productive. They're very skilled and very good at what they do. And I think that comes back to what I was saying before is making sure you create a team around you that are on the same wavelength, you know, that have the same vision, that go for the same commitment to service. Are you handling all the listings on the team? I have a listing manager and a transaction manager as well, but my name is on all of the listings. Yeah, that's what I meant. As the salesperson, you're going out and signing up all the listings? Absolutely. So, Aaron, let's talk about where you're at. Everybody knows where you are. This is going out all over the world. So could you please describe to us where is Brentwood, Tennessee? Brentwood, Tennessee is located in Middle Tennessee. The major city hub is Nashville. So I am a Nashville, Tennessee agent, and we sell around six different counties here in Middle Tennessee. So it's a pretty big area that you're covering. How long does it take to drive across that area? From Middle Tennessee, if we're just talking about the Middle Tennessee area, you could be at the Kentucky border and then down to the Alabama border in an hour and a half. So it's a very narrow state and we can cover a lot in Middle Tennessee. But unfortunately, if you went from east to west, that's a different story. But we are right there in Middle Tennessee. What's the population of the market you're serving? Middle Tennessee in general is encompassing about 2 million or so people, but Nashville itself, I believe, is about 700,000. Most of your business there in Nashville and just right around Nashville, or are you also expanding out into that really large hour-and-a-half drive market where it becomes more rural? I would say we are mostly focused in, say, a 30-minute drive around Nashville. So... 30, 40 mile radius right there around Nashville. What's the average price in your market? Well, it differs depending on where you're looking. Right now in say Nashville itself, it's very hard to find anything to 25 and under. So we're right around like 275, 300 average sales price, I would say for middle Tennessee, if you're taking the highs and lows of different areas. Are you focused on any particular part of the market, the entry level, middle, luxury, or are you doing it all? We really do it all. We have investors, we have entry level for some home buyers, the move up buyers is extremely strong here in Nashville. And then obviously we also do luxury. So we can do a little bit of everything. First time buyers always have our heart because the excitement in their eyes when they walk through a house the house they love the first time never gets old, even almost 11 years in the business. Now, you mentioned earlier that your market is moving really fast. Do you know what your days on market is? We're less than 30 days. Our supply is very low right now. And so are prices moving up quickly? They are moving up extremely fast. And that's And that's a little bit of a problem that we're seeing here in Nashville, just because the list prices on homes are pushing numbers every single time you see a new listing. And so there are going to be appraisal issues that come back because some of the comps will not support it. But the buyer demand is there. I read analytics the other day where it was for every home, you have three to five people bidding on it. So the demand is strong. You know, a lot of people are in that type of market that are listening. And so the challenge they run into, as you just mentioned, is the appraisal problem. How are you handling that based on whether you're working with the buyer or the seller? I think it goes back to who do you represent? We're representing the buyer. You know, we want to save them as much money as 
possible at the end of the day. So we would love the seller to reduce. But in a seller's market, the seller could just say no and wait for that cash offer. We ultimately want it to work. And that's a discussion and being an advocate for your client and showing the other side why they should take the reduction to save your client the most money possible and ultimately get the closing table. If I'm representing seller, of course, I'm armed very heavily with comps to support where my list price is. I am meeting the appraiser out at the home or having my listing manager out there at the home. One thing that we have done as a team that has helped us is when we list homes, we not only just have a list of upgrades that are there on the counter next to our marketing materials, we have little laminated cards that are call outs throughout the property that are posted. And so this helps reinforce value. We have seen time and time again that it not only helps the buyers realize, oh, this refrigerator that would cost $1,500 actually stays with the house. Or, oh, this closet isn't just a closet, it's a tornado shelter. So that reinforces value and allows them to justify the list price that we have for a property. And I have gotten phone calls time and time again from appraisers that have said, Aaron, thank you so much for having those cards. I love it. It really told me so much about the property that you can't see on the surface. And that has really helped through the appraisal process when we're listing homes. If that appraisal does come in lower than the sales price, you're working with the seller, the final contract price. Are you asking the buyer to come up with cash? It depends. We might meet in the middle. It just You take case by case depending upon where your seller is and your discussions with the other side. We would love it to appraise. If we can get the appraiser to match where our offer price is, then the buyer will not have to bring extra money to the table. That will be part of the loan. So that's the ultimate goal. We don't want anybody to bring more money to the table than they originally thought. We want to get to the closing table. And so you're trying to preempt that by getting those comps to that appraiser as well as those laminated cards to point out highlighted features. Absolutely. And we want to be there when they are doing the appraisal for any questions. Many times the appraisers have questions that you need to be as a listing agent on site to answer those. And what better way to inform them to be there yourself? It's so much better face-to-face than on the phone. You can walk, you can talk, you can point out upgrades and really reinforce the value. You mentioned another issue is that there are a lot of buyers for one home. I assume that means you're getting a lot of multiple offer situations. If you're representing the seller in a multiple offer situation, how do you handle that? Three offers come in, five offers come in. Do you just take the best offer that comes in? Do you counter back to all five somehow? Do you counter back to one, one at a time? What's your approach with dealing with the multiple offers when you're working with a seller? Well, we actually, depending upon the property, we have discussions on the front end with the seller and what they want because the seller is in the driver's seat. So we are informing them of some of their options. So for instance, we list property on Thursdays. That's just a day that we have found is a great day to create a lot of traffic through the property through the weekend. So if we know that it's going to be a very hot property, we're listing on a Thursday, planning an open house on a Sunday. We will talk to them and say, if we get multiple offers, do you still want to have the open house on Sunday? Nine times out of 10, the seller will say, yes, we'll just review all of the offers Sunday evening. 
And so that's what we'll do. We'll put it in Realtor Remark on the MLS so only the agents can see it. So everybody has an even playing field. And this also allows all the buyers to get out there and see the property. And even if the agent can't show it to them, they can get out there on Sunday afternoon at the open house and view the property. It's a great playing field for everybody to have the opportunity to see the home. And then it's really great for my sellers to be able to have all the opportunities presented to them. So if there are 21 people who walk through the door between Thursday and Sunday, and that comes through with nine offers, we know that we did the very best to get them all of the offers on the table. And then at that point, what we do is obviously that we present every single offer. We break it down with a spreadsheet, comparing each one, and we go through every single offer. We read every single letter from a buyer to our seller or video or whatever that they give us that they want us to present to the seller. And then the seller makes that decision, whether it's a overlist uh, offer that they take and we talk about possible appraisal consequences that we might have to deal with later. We just want to inform them of all sides of that particular offer and they will make that decision that's best for them and their family. So it sounds like you're typically letting all the buyers know that they need to bring their highest and best offer by Sunday and that's when you're going to present. Yeah, and it really depends on the seller. I have some sellers we will be on the market on Thursday, and this actually happened to us not too long ago. We had a snowstorm, and we still decided to put it on on Thursday. And we had so many people that called, and it resulted in 21 multiple offers that we had on this house. They finally said, you know, I have two small children. Enough is enough. I don't want to leave my house anymore. Let's just call it a day. We can't get any better than 21 multiple offers. And so we canceled the open house. It was nuts. So for us to be able to provide that, they're in the driver's seat. They're the boss. And so we said, okay, unfortunately, it's canceled. So it's all about the seller. So I do think that the seller's feet. So, you know, I have, it's, it's so funny, I have a listing that's about to hit next two or three weeks. And I originally met with them in November. We signed the listing agreement in November. And I told them they're in the driver's seat. They ultimately wanted to originally list in December right after the holidays. And, you know, life gets ahead of you. You're traveling, your schedule, you can't get your house ready in time. And now it's March and we're getting ready to list their house now. They are ultimately in the driver's seat. We will go as fast or as slow as our sellers or our buyers want because they're the boss. Let's just ask real quick about the structure of your launch. You said you, you want to put the home there on Thursday. You'll review offers on Sunday. If a buyer comes in and looks on Friday, writes you up an offer and says, we want an answer by Friday night, how do you handle that? Well, if there aren't multiple offers, then you are required to present that to your seller. You are required to present every offer. So if the seller has already stated that they will only review offers, not necessarily highest and best, but they're only reviewing offers after the open house, that will be advertised and noted on the MLS prior to any showing. So that agent and that particular buyer know ahead of time. They can still put any kind of deadline they want. But again, my seller has the opportunity to either review it or not. And that's up to the seller. Let's flip the tables. If you're working with buyers and they're in the situation where they're in the multiple offer situation, how do you make your buyer look good to the seller? How do you try to stand out from the other buyers? 
Well, I think that one thing that we have done extremely well is being able to work with them on the front end. We have many first-time home buyers right now that our buyer's agents are scouring homes for them right now. And we have a plan, whether it's a letter or a video or whatever it may be that can help them get a leg up. That's what we want to do. But the most important thing for us and what we found is getting our clients in first. That has led to a lot of off-market deals. We have been very fortunate in the past year, I would say about almost 90 units, 90 transactions were done off-market. And we had this couple from Iowa who relocated to Nashville and she flew in. And when she flew in, she came to our office. And of the 15 homes she wanted to see, only one was still available. And that wasn't one of her favorites, of course. So here she is sitting in our office. All the houses are gone that she wanted. We're looking on the MLS. She's not seen anything. And she has two days to buy a house. One of my buyer's agents is going over the MLS with her. I step outside of the meeting. I get on the phone with my fellow agent in Middle Tennessee. And I start calling my mega listers that I know that list in these key areas that I do a lot of business with. And I say, what do you have coming soon? I don't care if carpet still needs to go in or if you need to paint it. I have a ready, willing, able buyer who needs to close in 30 days or 45 days, whatever it is. What do you have? And I ended up finding about 10 properties that fit her buy box that they went out and viewed that day. They were all off market and she ended up writing an offer and found her perfect home from that. It is extremely important to network with other agents. And that has led to a lot of our success because it helps our buyers in a multitude of ways. Number one, they're not paying over market value. They're definitely going to give a good offer. There's no doubt about that. You have to. But they're not going to be fighting five, six, seven other offers. And they may need to do some things themselves. They may need to paint or they may need to put carpet in. And if they're okay with that, it saves them thousands of dollars at the end of the day. And we have found that that strategy alone by getting on the phone, talking to other agents, networking with other agents, has really given us a huge leg up when it comes to helping our buyers find homes and get into homes, especially in a tough price point. That's really a ninja move, isn't it? We try. We try to be ninjas on the ground for our clients. And as long as our clients are up to the challenge of fixing up things, it has worked out really well. And if they're not, we give them the opportunities of the vendors that we have and saying, look, we'll bring out a handyman with us and he can kind of quote out what he thinks it would cost. So we try to help our clients in any way be able to see these homes full potential if they're looking at a fixer-upper, so to speak, just so they can get what they ultimately want, whether it's a certain home in a school zone or a certain square footage or whatever it may be. We really try to deliver on what they're looking for. And sometimes you have to go ninja style. That's really impressive. So you're finding off-market deals. Last year, about 90 closings from this concept where you were going out and networking with other agents. In particular, you mentioned mega listers, agents you know who are taking on a lot of seller listings. That's really sharp. So you've got a pretty good Rolodex. How did you create the relationships with these mega listers that allows you to call in and get that quick access? Well, over the past, I guess it was three or four years, 
our volume has increased exponentially and our transactions. And just by that alone, you're dealing with a lot of the mega listers in the area. But I'm also not afraid to belong and network and be at events. And if I see an agent that I know is a mega lister, but I've never met them, I'm not afraid to go up and say, hi, I'm Aaron Kruger. Nice to meet you. I've always wanted to meet you. It's nice to put a name with a face. So it's incredibly important for me to let them know that we have a huge buyer pool. And there's all kinds of situations in real estate. There might be a mother who has three children, one with autism, who doesn't want to get her house ready to sell. She doesn't want to go through everything. It's too stressful. There might be a death or an estate situation where they just don't have the money to put into it. But I want them to know that I have such a large buyer pool and we have buyers that are do-it-yourselfers. I kind of tease them and say, are you a dip and a Joanna from Fixer Upper? Are you guys up to the challenge of fixing up a house? And they go, yes, we totally are. And so if that's the case, then I know that when somebody tells me about a property that's coming soon, that I have the buyer that I can match them up with. So that's incredibly important. And so by even calling these agents and networking, I'm getting phone calls now. People are calling me first before they even post on social media coming soon. And I think a lot of that has to do with not only our buyer pool, but also how great it is to deal with my team. I have to really tell you how great the customer service is with my transaction manager, my closing coordinators. They are amazing. They make every transaction, no matter how sticky it is, enjoyable. We want it to be a seamless transaction. And when another agent knows, if I deal with the Aaron Kruger team, it's going to be a flawless transaction no matter what comes up, that's important. That has value. And it has value to the other side when they're pitching our offer to the seller. Are you only going out and asking for these coming soon listings when you have a buyer who's sitting there who's ready to right now? It almost sounded like you have a system in place where you're constantly out there looking for these off-market listings, these coming soons, and because you have this buyer pool behind you. Are you only doing this approach when you have a specific buyer sitting there at your desk ready to buy in the next 24 hours? Or are you also doing this approach when you're talking generically about your buyer pool? Both. You know, I am constantly in touch with fellow agents and asking, what do you have coming up? What's in the pipeline? And they're doing the same with me. And that's incredibly important. However, there are times where, like I said, my client comes into town and every house that she loved on the MLS is no longer available. And that's when I need to get in and say, can I get in this weekend and see these homes? And they come through for us. And they know that I qualify my buyers. We've got ready, willing, able buyers that are ready to buy. And they're serious buyers. So that is important. So we're constantly, just like I had mentioned in the very beginning of the call of constantly knowing our numbers and our P&L, it's a constant communication with fellow agents when we're dealing with our buyers to make sure in a tough market, a competitive market, that we get it first. And we have first look and we can write an offer to be presented before any other offer comes in. There are so many other terms in a deal that are important besides the offer amount. And it could be the closing date. So maybe somebody's building a house and it doesn't close for six more months. They just want the comfort to know that their house is under contract. 
I have a buyer in my pool that will wait, is willing to wait. And so that gives a lot of agents comfort that they can call my team and say, hey, do you have anybody that's looking in this area? Actually, we do. Can we get in and see the house? And then we go from there. That's pretty amazing. I'm seeing here is that although we're at a high level of technology, a lot of interconnectivity out there on the internet, you're going back to old-fashioned relationships and connections, just like they sold homes 50 years ago, where it was more relational and who you know and and how do you make those connections. And it's coming back as a super powerful tool for you. Absolutely. I think that we also, don't get me wrong, we use social media and I have notifications on my Facebook and Instagram and everything to see what else is hashtag coming soon. So I'm I'm up on all that in case I miss something. I don't want to miss anything for our clients. But the relationships, whether it is your customer who is your fellow agent or is your client who is your buyer or your seller, are paramount to success. Because customer service, if you treat somebody right, whether it's a fellow agent or a client, that person will remember how you made them feel. I learned that a long time ago. And if you make them feel as though they're your only client and that they are important to you because they truly are to us, they mean the world to us, that will come back to you tenfold. And they're going to tell their mother, their sister, their brother, their colleague, and it's going to go from there. I recently had a client of mine, and it was so funny. He was at the water cooler, so to speak, at their corporation, and he ran into somebody that worked with her that was looking for a house. And my client was the raving fan, saying, I don't care who you're using, you need to use Aaron. And and it was incredible to have clients that go to bat for you and say, look, you need to use her. She treats you like family. She's going to fight for you at the table and get you the house. That's really important. And I'm really blessed with a, a group of clients that refer me years down the line. A lot of people say things like that, but you're not just giving this lip service. It's running out in the results. My understanding is that about 69, almost 70% of your business is coming from repeating referrals from past clients and sphere of influence. You really are uh, creating these raving fans. So tell us a little bit more about how you're doing that. How are you creating this high level of customer service that's translating into raving fans, that's translating into repeat and referral? Well, we take a systems and processes approach, but we kind of do a very hand-holding feel to it. To do the amount of volume and transactions that we do, we have to have systems and processes in place. And because we have that, we have particular timing and emails, everything throughout the whole process. But we not only email, but we also follow up with phone calls, text messages, whatever they feel comfortable with on the front end and we get that information from them. We want them to know that if you have a question, especially for, say, it's a first-time home buyer, and they are nervous, their first home that they're buying. I had a buyer consult yesterday, and I said, are you excited? She goes, I'm nervous. I said, you are in the best hands possible. We will go as fast or slow as you want to go. And if you have any questions, you let us know. And that really is true. If you have questions, and I use this with my clients, and I say, if it's at 9 o'clock at night, text us. Text my buyer agent, text me. If we are available, text you back, we will text you back. At our first moment that we are available, whether it's the next morning or we will get back to you. And 
I have learned that that alone with buyers and sellers puts their fears, their questions aside when they know that they can communicate and no question is too small that they can ask us. And when there's that kind of openness between a buyer or seller and their agent, the comfort level, the trust level is there. Uh, they know that they're in good hands. They know that somebody has their back. And that is really important. And I'm blessed where my clients don't you know, necessarily abuse it. But there are times where I will get a text message. I had a client last Saturday. It was so funny. I got a text message about 5.30 a.m., and I didn't see it until I was up around six or so. And I texted him back and we started texting back and forth. And he says, oh my gosh, Aaron, I'm so sorry. I have a newborn baby and I didn't even realize how early it was. I can't believe you're responding to me. And I said, no worries, I'm up. It's not a big deal. And of course they wanted, I sold them a house two years ago and they're looking to move up. And so it's not a big deal. It's that's part of the business that we sign up for. And if you don't have that mindset, you are placing families in homes. You're, um, you've got a lot on your shoulders, got moving trusts and deadlines, and they trust you. And this is a lot of money that's on the line. If you really put the weight on your shoulders and you realize what the opportunity and the trust that they're giving you, it's important to be able to cast their fears aside and answer their questions and develop that relationship with them that is ultimately trust. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. You said something really awesome there. You mentioned that you create an environment of open communication, and that is creating this sense of trust, which is moving the relationship forward. Now, you're doing that on a personal level, but now you've grown this business to a team, and I assume that you now have to take this idea of open communication, building trust, and insert it into the culture of the team. How have you done that? Absolutely. Well, of course, everybody who's on the team, we are all in the same mindset. We have the same goals. We all are different personalities. We have the same approach when it comes to communication and customer relations. And so that's really important. So I've hired correctly and I also lead by example. They see how I am. So what's very important is when we have buyers and we do a buyer consult, whether it's a referral, it's an internet lead that gets put in, or if it's a call up of a listing, whatever it may be, and they come into my office, I am there for all of those. I will do a soft handoff to my buyer's agent. But what is important for me is even if I'm sitting there with a husband and wife who are going to be buying their first home or their second home, I tell them that this is a team, that if my buyer's agent is not available, because they might be showing other property to another buyer, okay, so that I will be available or another buyer's agent is available. We work as a team and I show them all the pictures of the whole team so they know who these ladies are. They know their background. They have their roster of information. So they're very familiar that it is a team environment because I tell them, if so-and-so is not available, you can text me. You can call me. No question is too small, but my buyer's agent will be your lead contact but I will be there throughout the whole process if I need to be. 
And that's how it works. They feel as though they are in good hands. And that's what's important. And they meet me. I'm not just a team lead that they only see in name only. They meet me. They know me. There's at least an hour that's spent on the front end. And I absolutely, without a doubt, check in. And of course, before closing day, I check in and I get feedback on my buyer's agent as well. I want to make sure that the process was great. Were there any issues? How they felt during the transaction? I want to know if I need to make changes, if I need to pivot, what do we need to learn from? We're always growing. We're always learning. Nobody is perfect. And we do not know everything. That's the other thing. So we need to check in with our clients and make sure that we're on point. And I want them to know that 5, 10, 15 years from now, when they go to list that home, that they can call the Erin Kruger team. And we're not only going to be here, but they're going to see the same faces and be able to reach out to us and have that comfort level to do so. I think because you're getting in there personally and putting in the personal touch on each client, your people in your organization are seeing that and they want to get in and add their personal touch as well. You mentioned your buyer agents. I assume the same thing is happening with your transaction manager and contract coordinator. They're all seeing you at the top handling all this personal touch, and it gives them the power to go out there and feel confident about doing the same. Absolutely. And I think there was a land deal that we recently did, and my transaction manager, Georgia, was heavily involved in the due diligence portion of the transaction. And the buyer is a very high-level CEO of a very well-known corporation here in Nashville. And as a CEO, he is used to a very high-level corporate efficiency with communication and things being done the first time. And I told Georgia, rarely goes to the closing table as the transaction manager. I said, Georgia, I want you to be there. You did a fantastic job. I want you to meet the clients face-to-face because she was calling them and texting them and emailing them all through the process. And I had told my clients, I said, Georgia will be there. And to show up at the closing table and for our clients, not only gift myself something, but to gift Georgia something was very touching. And he said to me, the CEO that was a repeat client of mine, he said, Erin, she's fabulous. She's absolutely fabulous. That to me is it's that checkpoint. It just tells you you're hiring the right people. You're doing what you need to do. And it's okay for me as a team lead to go on vacation because this team has everything down that you have trained them on. They really know what the expectations are and they are a well-oiled machine. And they do things the level that you want them to, the way that you do things. And that has given me such a sense of as a team lead uh, because I have been guilty. I've been that crazy real estate lady back in the day when I did everything myself. And to be able to have trust in your team members that they're going to get the job done to the level is an incredible feeling. You have a lot of pride and confidence in your team and the members of your team that's really worked out well for you. You also mentioned that for a long time there, seven years, you were doing everything yourself. So for someone who's listening, who's still doing everything themselves, and they're thinking about bringing someone in because they're getting overloaded, how did you get over that hump? How did you allow yourself to let go of some of the responsibilities and bring that person in? I first 
ran the numbers and I figured out what my worth was, what my hourly rate wrote down to be, what my daily rate was. And I basically said to myself, what do I need to free up my time? What is bogging me down? And that's paperwork. There's somebody else that can do the paperwork. The client needs to see you. And so my first hire was that closed coordinator, that contract closed. And that alone freed up hours of time where I was able to cultivate more business. So that was my absolute first hire. And I think what's so great about our industry is that you don't need to go all in and hire a full-time person. There are companies out there that you can pay per transaction or you can split assistance or whatever in our industry. So if I was back several years ago, I would have done it sooner if I could have. It took a long time to get to that point, but everything happens for a reason and the timing is important as well. So that was my first hire. And from that point on, I saw it freeing up more time for me to be able to do more business. You mentioned earlier that you figured out that your earnings per hour were much higher than it would cost to bring somebody in. They have a lower dollar per hour, and that's how you can create that leverage and make the whole thing work. Absolutely. So whether it's a per transaction fee or if you have them on salary or whatever you decide to do, which going to work for you, you just need to kind of look at that. At the end of the day, you still need to make a return on your investment, but you need to have the mindset of if I'm freed up and I spend $500 or whatever it may be to have my paperwork handled, what does that $500 allow me to do by getting more business? That could result in $3 million more in sales by just being able to be out talking to other people, networking, calling past clients, whatever it may be, working on your website or your blog that hits that empty for so long because you've been so busy. It's very, very important to know what your worth is and to be able to fill in the blank and say, I don't need to be doing this anymore. And then to find somebody who can help you do that. Let's go back to this idea of hiring correctly. You've mentioned it multiple times that you figured out how to hire correctly. You've mentioned the DISC personality test, doing a lot of interviews. Let's try to go to the intangible. I assume there's something in these interviews you're looking for. You must be looking for people who are willing to do open communication, handle your clients well. How are you trying to identify that in these people that you're interviewing? Well, I think that a lot of things can be learned. So I'm a true believer in that a lot of things can be learned, but there are some things that you have to just have. And I really look at the person's potential as well. I rarely hire new agents on my team. I really love experienced agents that have been in the field. Um, Whether they have maybe had a lull in their career and now they're looking to be on a team or whatever it may be, but they've been through the trenches. They know the industry. I like that. Not to say that I wouldn't bring on anybody new, but I really do like the experience. But also with that, I think that there has to be the ability to still be open to being trained to a certain way. Because 
my level is going to be different than the next agent's level. But everything on the Aaron Kruger team has to be consistent because say, for instance, a buyer's agent of mine gets sick or something happens and there's a death in the family and they're out and I have to put another buyer's agent. They should get the same level of service, the different personality, but they should get the same level of service in the entire transaction. And so that's incredibly important to me. So I look at people who are able and have the ability and also the attitude of that I'm game for anything, that I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to get on the phones and call agents. I'm willing to call past buyers. I don't want somebody who has that negative attitude. I have a saying on my team, a mantra, so to speak, is put your positive pants on. We don't like negativity. We have to surround ourselves with positivity because a positive attitude can create so many more opportunities because it's your mindset. If you have a positive mindset, the opportunities are endless. We don't want any negative Nellies. So that's a big thing on my team is you have to wrap yourself around being positive. And there are things that come up in real estate that aren't positive. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you. But we have to be optimistic. We have to keep moving forward. Our goal as agents is to get to the closing table. We are ethically bound, once we're in a binding contract, to go to the closing table. Obviously, watching out for our buyer or seller every step of the way, but that's the ultimate goal. And keeping it a positive transaction, even when the buyer and seller are not agreeing on terms, keeping that positive communication with the other agent, that's key. If you have a negative attitude or you take on some of maybe your sellers or your buyers negativity of a response of the other side and push that off to the agent, the agent's just the middleman. You know what I mean? They're not the one making the ultimate decision. You still have to keep it very light and very positive. And that's how transactions close is through two professionals working together. And this way it's flawless for all people involved. You mentioned customer service, how important it is to you. I want to go back to when you first are talking to the client, and you've mentioned the phrase multiple times, and that is, we will go as fast or as slow as you want to go. I said that several times in connection with how you talk to your client. I think that's really sharp, and I wanted to point that out before I forgot it. And it seems to be your philosophy through that whole transaction. Absolutely. I tell them, they are in the driver's seat. They're the boss. I knock on wood when I tell them. I said, you know, I've done hundreds, if not thousands of transactions, and I've never been fired. And I knock on wood, and I'm knocking on wood right now. (laughs) But I always ask them, if they feel as though it's going too fast, too slow, just talk to us. If there's something that maybe they don't like, whether it's with a buyer's agent, a listing manager, transaction manager, myself, just talk to us about it. We want to correct it. We want to fix it. It's extremely important that they know that if they are debating, even if they know that they're in a binding contract for a brand new construction and they are getting cold feet because they're going from a $600,000 house to a million dollar house and they can't believe that they're now paying a million dollars for a house and they're getting cold feet, even though they can afford it, but they getting nervous that they can talk to us about it. The worst thing is if your client can't communicate with you. And so we want to be able to be that open partner. We talk about being that 
exclusive agent, that designated exclusive agent for them, where they can talk to us in confidence about anything that's bothering them in the transaction, because we want to ultimately make this a positive, flawless transaction for them. And the only way by doing that is with trust that we build with the client. And that's through being open and being able to communicate with them. I want to switch gears here. I want to talk about lead generation. As we mentioned earlier, about 69, 70% of your business is coming through repeat and referrals, past clients, sphere of influence, agent to agent, et cetera. I'd like to go into that for a minute. Let's talk about your past clients and sphere of influence first. Do you keep a database of past clients and sphere of influence? And if so, how big is it? It's quite large now. (laughs) It wasn't when I started in real estate because I didn't know anybody here in Nashville. We do have all of our past clients in our CRM, and we are not afraid at the closing table to ask for business. And I do this twofold. And I think a lot of agents don't do this. They may ask their client, hey, do you know anybody else who's looking to buy or sell? And you know, the biggest compliment that I could ever have would be if you would refer me to somebody. And I think a lot of agents do do that. But one thing that they don't do is on the other side, they maybe don't call the other agent and say, you know, this is such an awesome transaction. I hope we do another deal soon together. Oh, by the way, I've got another buyer who's looking for a house just like this. Do you have anything coming soon? And they go, actually, Aaron, I'm going to be listing the one down the street. Can we get in early? Do you mind? And that's how we get those off-market deals. And so it's not only creating referrals, but it's creating the business for the book of business you already have, those buyers who are waiting to get in. So you can't be afraid to ask for business, whether it's your clients at the closing table, your vendors or even your fellow agents on properties that they have coming soon. You have to ask for the business. Let's talk about that past client database. You said it's really large now. Do you know how many people are in it approximately? I think we've got close to 2,000 in there right now, but I could be incorrect on that, to be honest, Mike. (laughs) That's all right. I'm blessed right now to have somebody who handles that for me and it's updated all of the time. And so it could be higher than that right now. So I'm not sure. Well, let's say it's around 2000. That's a reasonable number. You said you're keeping a CRM. What kind of software are you using? We use different programs over the years. We've used Realty Juggler. We've used Top Producer. So, I mean, even back when I was first starting, I used an Excel spreadsheet. So, I don't think there's a wrong one. I don't want to pitch one in particular, but I use one of the big names that are out there. And so I feel like as long as you have a database where you know their contact information when they bought the house, you can kind of tap back in and say happy anniversary on your house or what their birthday is or those touchback points. That's incredibly important. Also, just the regular holidays and different times of the year, if you do mail-outs or whatever you want to do to touch back with your client, that's really, really important. Let's go through what your marketing plan looks like over the course of a year to your past clients and sphere of influence. If you could give us just a quick outline, for instance, are you calling them? Are you sending email or or snail mail, and then what's the frequency? What are you doing to stay in front of your past clients and sphere of influence over the course of a year? 
So we have drip campaigns throughout the year that are mailed. So whether it's gifts in kind of, say, Magnus or being in the South here, football is very big. So SEC football will do out magnets and things like that. And I had done that since I first started and I continue to do it. I have to say, it's pretty comical when I walk into a home and I see my face, all of my magnets on the side of their refrigerator from all of the years. That's pretty comical. They don't expect them to keep them year over year, but they do. And, um, you know, we'll also send out letters and um, we'll email. We also encourage them to keep up with us on social media, whether it's our Facebook page or Instagram, because that allows us to keep in touch with them as much or as little as they want. And what's interesting about it is on Facebook, they see when we're closing deals that are near them or they'll see an article. For instance, one of our listings is going to be in the Tennessee end this Sunday. It's a large listing that we have and it's a very unique listing. So we pitch a story out to the Tennessean and I know just when that goes out, I'll get phone calls from my clients congratulating me on it. Or if we post the online link on Facebook, they will touch back or say, this is my agent because I have created those raving fans of my clients and that they're so happy to drop my name, which is such an honor as an agent. So that's really important to me. If they do a referral to me, I'm not afraid to have cookies dropped off or a thank you note or whatever it may be that I look specifically at them and I say, oh, what would be a great thank you for them? What was really unique a couple of weeks ago is I found out two past clients are now engaged, which is really special. So of course, we are taking some of our Aaron Kruger team well bottles that we have branded and we're putting Mr. and Mrs. on them and dropping them off at their house because they have two houses now and they're going to have to go down to one house. So also, you know, those are my return clients. So just being top of mind is incredibly important, but there's a fine line between too much and then being forgotten. And so I think that, that sincerity is key. So we do the basic, like I said, the mail out. But throughout the year, it's really what would be useful to my clients. So, for instance, one time we did a mail out that was off our grid. It wasn't on our regular plan touchback. But we have a lot of tornadoes here in Tennessee. And I felt it was very, very important that if they do not have a weather radio at their house, that they download these apps on their phone that will wake them up in the middle of the night. We actually just had tornadoes come through last night. And the alarms will go off on your cell phone. It's because we care. We care about our clients. And so when I sent that out, I had five clients contact me with, hey, Erin, I just want to give you a heads up. I just gave your name to so-and-so. They're looking to buy a house. And it's like top of mind. And so we truly did that as a place of sincerity, but it's so nice to be top of mind where they are then saying, hey, by the way, I dropped your name. But not only did I drop your name, but then I emailed them back and say, thank you so much. What is their full name? What is their contact? Do you want me to reach out to them? You get a pulse on how you should respond from there. So that's very, very important to us. I think that whatever you do, it needs to be sincere. And that even comes down to closing gifts. What is going to be great for them? What is that type of thing? If you come from a place of sincerity, I think that people are touched and 
that they will always remember how you made them feel. And when you say sincerity, what I envision is it's something that you would do for your friend. You would send one of these message apps to your friend to make sure that they would be okay in a tornado situation. Is that the way you approach it? Do you feel that these folks are your friends? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what's so great about real estate is they come in and you don't know them at all. And at the end of the transaction, you're hugging and making plans for barbecues. So that's the great thing about real estate. We want to be their realtor for life, but we are also friends. You know, they will friend me on my personal Facebook page, not just my team Facebook page. I see their children grow up. One thing that was so touching, I have to say, is in one subdivision in Brentwood, I had sold, I believe, six homes in this new construction subdivision. There was a lemonade stand that was set up, and it was a very high-end subdivision. And there was a lemonade stand that was set up by all the children of the parents that I sold homes to. And they were all there selling their lemonade for 50 cents. And I wanted to so bad, because it was posted after the fact, if I would have known earlier, I would have driven over there and bought lemonade from them. It was just one of those moments where now my clients are now friends and neighbors of each other, and their kids are friends. It was just one of those moments where it was just like, this is what it's all about. It's not about the paycheck at the end of the day at the closing table. I rarely ever think about the actual amount of commission. Okay, I do know my numbers, but it's not about that at the end of the day. It's about the client. And even yesterday, I cut my commission on something to make the deal work because the buyer and the seller were at odds. And I knew that my buyer needed this house and both sides, the other agent and myself, we cut our commission a little bit to make this work. You have to do things like this in our industry to get stuff done for your client. And, you know, whether it's splitting a home warranty or whatever it may be, get the job done, the little things that matter. And the clients don't even need to know about it. Do you know what I mean? It's just, you just need to get the smiles at the end of the day. And um, it's just the little touches. If it's new construction, put a pack of water in their refrigerator with a Papa John's pizza gift card for their movie day. That's a surprise. They're opening up the refrigerator and they have cold water and a gift card for Papa John's. We're thinking about you. Happy Newton Day. You know, that type of thing. Whatever it may be that is a nice personal touch that would mean something to them, you should do. But Aaron, I don't want to miss this point. You mentioned the marketing, some of the things that you're doing. You're sending out some hard mail, letters, email, social media. And you also mentioned, though, that there was this issue between doing too much and too little. Speaking to the letters and the email, what type of frequency have you found is the right amount? Do you send it out every day, once a week, once a month, once a quarter? What is the frequency that you like? No, for mail, we do six times a year. And then there might be something where it's, you know, a touchback as far as it's something is top of mind. Like, for instance, when I was talking about the app, my marketing manager and I just said, you know, I really think that this is important. Let's just do a big mail out to our entire sphere. We'll also post it on our Facebook page as well so they can automatically download these apps because that's just, you know, an extra one. Um, But as far as emails, e-newsletters, Facebook, stuff like that, that is a continuous drip of information. We are not just promoting our listings 
our sales on here. We want to be a area, an opportunity for them to learn about the ongoing of what's going on in Nashville. So I have Google alerts set up on all kinds of topics in Nashville, whether it's outdoor seating when it's nice weather, whether it's a new ice rink being built in West Nashville or a new event center or a new concert hall. I want to be posting that up first so they know that we've got community information of what's going on. Because that's important. You want to be that community source as well where you're, you know, directing them to the Tennessean or the Business Journal or whatever it may be. So we want to be able to touch back with them. What I have found is that also even through Instagram, we'll pose questions out. You know, we're helping a builder pick out designs of this new community that we're doing. And I'll say, what cabinet do you like better? And my clients are responding back and saying, white, gray, white, you know, all of this going back and forth. And it's great because I know that they're actively participating and actively following. And that's incredibly important. But if I don't hear from somebody, I will check in with my client on the phone and just check in and see how life's treating them. One of my clients was in a car accident and um, yesterday, you know, I stopped by and dropped off food. If you know what's going on in their lives and your friends on Facebook or through mutual friends or whatever, and you're a part of that, just those little things mean the world to your client. You were a very important part of their home purchase on a very big purchase. And lifelong friendships can develop and a lifelong uh, pipeline can be developed of future clients to come are developed from that. So if you're yourself and you're sincere in what you're doing, it will come back to you. Erin, do you have past client parties or events? You know, we are actually doing some client appreciation events planned for this year, which is really special. We've done in the past kind of like welcome to the neighborhood. So once they close on a house within the first couple months, we offer to kind of have their friends over and and have something catered or something like that. We've done that in the past. And that also, in turn, can grow your business as well. You can pick up referrals that way. So their friend is looking to buy a house, start chatting about that. And, you know, before you know it, you've got a new client. So, yeah. So I think the biggest thing is, is that you want to do something where you can bring in the bulk of your clientele, whether it's a bowling event or a movie event or holiday party, whatever it may be. But some people aren't don't want to socialize, don't want to go to anything like that. And so it's important that you're making sure that you're looking at your roster and you are touching back on these people. And and whether it's just even an email, like, hope you're doing well, or a message through Facebook, you just want them to know that you're there. Do you spend time making a personal phone call or you mentioned an email or a private message through Facebook? Do you spend a certain amount of time each week doing that to touch base with your clients? I do. I schedule Mondays are kind of my touchback day that I kind of schedule that around. So I take a couple hours and I just go through and, you know, kind of connect with some clients that maybe I haven't connected with in a month or so and just want to kind of see how they're doing. And a lot of times they'll be like, you know, Aaron, I'm so glad you called. Do you have a painter? Do you have a plumber? I've got this issue going on now. You know, that kind of thing. And so, absolutely, here's three plumbers to call, see who can get out there for you. You know, that kind of thing. I want them to know that whether it's 10 years, 5 years, or 
six months and they purchase a house from me that they can call me. And I will be glad to go to their house or to have a team member go to their house, do an evaluation if they've done a renovation. And I tell them that too at the closing table. If I know that they're going to be doing renovations, have us out to the house afterwards. We will gladly tell them how much this has increased their value. Being that type of source to them is valuable to them because this is their investment. So we want to be useful to them. Now you get a lot of referrals. Are you asking your past clients as sphere of influence directly for referrals? Or is it happening more because you're providing all these additional services? Well, I'm not afraid to ask them at the closing table. You know, if they know anybody who's looking to buy or sell, it would mean the world to me if you would tell them about myself and my team. And they're like, Aaron, without a doubt, we will totally do that. Or, you know, actually, I do have somebody at work who's looking to buy. I'm going to give them your card. You have a couple extra cards, that kind of thing. Um, But I'm not going to be overly, overly, overly asking them every single time, you know, whether it's through mail or whatever. By being top of mind, You have to let that also do its work. I think if you're asking every single moment, it can lose its luster. And I think that you need to be a little bit mindful that it's a relationship. Working with your clients is a relationship. Selling real estate is not a hard sell, okay? It's an emotional sell. It's an emotional connection through a relationship that you have with these people. They have an emotional connection with the house. They make an offer. They chose you as their agent because they have a connection with you. And if you are connecting with them throughout the years after you sell their house, then they're going to remember you. You mentioned also that with other agents, you're finding these off-market listings. uh, You're finding they're coming soon. A secondary question is, with other agents, are you also getting referrals from other agents, referrals of clients? And if so, how did you put that together? So as far as referrals from other agents, yes, I do get referrals from many other agents all over the country. And that's just through networking, as I mentioned before, not only here with agents here in Nashville, but also agents that are across the country, whether you're at a convention in Vegas and you meet other agents and connect that way, or even when I had my rankings and stuff that had come through, other agents that are ranked as well, we kind of emailed back and forth, exchanging information. Um, when you know of other agents that work at the same high level that you do, uh, it's important to be able to refer a client where they get the same level of service. So we do a lot of referrals from other parts of the country as well, um, either where we find those agents for them or we are actually called from agents of different cities all over the country. And I think you mentioned earlier that you're also getting referrals from your vendors, lenders, other vendors. How are you doing that? What's happening there? Well, I am very particular on the vendors that we use. I'm sure that other people that are listening to this can relate of getting phone calls. seems like everybody wants something from the real estate agent. Lenders want to have coffee with you. Honestly, I don't have time for coffee. (laughs) I am working with buyers and sellers. So I try to surround myself with vendors that operate how I operate. When I have leads, whether it's somebody who calls off of a listing or somebody who calls off of a referral of a friend or maybe even an internet, whether it be Zillow or Twitter, whatever it may be, they're cold. And so the first question when I'm talking to them is I'm going to ask them, are they pre-approved? 
And if they're not, then I'm going to have them connect with my lender. But I don't ask them to call the lender. I ask them if it's okay if the lender calls them. And that does a couple things. It allows my lender to connect with them. And I know that he will then call. The lead may not call, may not call for days, may never call. And then it goes cold. And I've explained to my lenders and my vendors that I use that it's a tag team mentality. I'm talking to them on the front end, but I need to pass them off to you to get pre-qualified and then you circle them back to me. And then I'm starting to work with them and get them in for the buyer call console. And we talk about what they're looking for in their search and start the process. But you have to have vendors that you can depend upon. I have a, you know, two strikes and you're out with my vendors because if their service isn't at the same level or if I get feedback from my clients that would not be the level that I would expect, then I don't work with them. I have to have people that are around me that treat my clients with this white glove service that we provide. It has to be a seamless transaction the whole way through. And so that's extremely important to me. I have to say, I've surrounded myself with incredible lenders and service providers where they know what I expect and they deliver. One of my go-to lenders I've been with for years. And so I know I can count on him. I know that if he's on the golf course on a Sunday afternoon, that he'll pick up my call. That's important to me because real estate doesn't stop. We could work every single day in real estate if we wanted to. And many of us do. And the lenders and the providers that we have have to be able to answer their phone on a regular basis and deliver the same level of service. When they also see that you're working so hard for your clients, they are very quick to refer their leads to you as well because they know that you will take care of them. Aaron, I want to switch gears for a minute. I want to talk a little bit more about your team. Could you please describe your team? Okay. Well, I'm obviously the team lead. And then I have a transaction manager and a listing manager and a marketing slash operations manager. And so obviously my listing manager um, is assisting with all of the listing activities on the property. My transaction manager is kind of full circle. She's reviewing all of the transactions on the team, kind of being my eyes as well. There are so many transactions on our team and we have our hands in so many things, even down the line that we're developing and working on. It is important that somebody always has your back and is always looking at the contracts on a client's level, even over our contract to close. And so that's what my transaction manager does. My operations and marketing manager, she's handling several things. Obviously, she's handling all the money coming in and out, the P&L, everything that's on QuickBooks. She's also handling all of our marketing activities. She's got a marketing degree from from University of Kentucky. And so she's um, working on the blog and always updating our website and our Facebook page and Instagram. And we're talking about, you know, doing some branding videos that are going to be on Facebook and stuff like that. So she's working on all of that type of stuff. She really is on a structure of a business, she would kind of be that CFO kind of person there. So those are the three managers on the team. And then I've got a closing coordinator who handles all the transactions, obviously all the contract to close. Obviously, my transaction manager still handles contract to close. 
but it takes more of an overview approach. And then I've got my three buyers agents, and I also I would be included in that as well because I take on buyers as well, that also work with buyers on a daily basis. And that is kind of the structure of my team. We also have a team assistant who work for us um, kind of from the spring to say early fall, who is in law school. And so during her break, she's our compliance and team assistant. And she is awesome and would do everything from putting signs in the ground to checking for compliance, to assisting any of the team members, run and drop off flyers, you name it. Um, she's there to help out, which is great. And that's pretty much the structure of the team. Uh, just to clarify, are there two buyer agents and then you are the third buyer agent or are there three buyer agents and you're the fourth buyer agent? So my listing manager is also a buyer's agent. So she will get some buyers as well because, you know, obviously being all of the people on my team, except the marketing operations manager and our team assistant are licensed agents. And so my listing manager, while she loves listing, she absolutely adores buyers. And so she also gets buyers. So there are three buyer's agents, and then myself, I guess, would be the fourth. Well, Erin, are you profitable? We're very blessed, very lucky. Never in my wildest dreams as a farm girl from Pennsylvania did I think that I would um, come down to a city of Nashville and be as blessed in business as we are. And I'm truly thankful and truly lucky. And uh, it's pretty amazing, I have to say. But what's even more amazing with the business that we're given and the profits that we've been able to have is being able every day to wake up and absolutely love what you do. Erin, what drives you? I'm driven by making my clients happy. I'm driven by seeing smiles on their face and for them to get what they ultimately want. I am also driven by my team. I have seen a change in myself as a team leader because I know my team members. They're not only my team members, but I also consider them my friends. And by working so closely with a team, you know what their why is and what their goals are. And I have them write them down because I'm a true believer in writing down your goals because that's a way to execute your goals. And when I see what they write down as their goals, as a team lead, I want to do everything in my power to make sure that that happens for them. And so by serving my clients and my team members, that gives me the biggest fulfillment, um, and which I believe has led to a lot of our success. Well, Erin, why have you been so successful? I have to say I'm extremely hard worker. I always have been. I was raised on a 400 head Angus cattle farm in Pennsylvania. I woke up very early every single morning. My dad had a to-do list. Still to this day, I have a notebook in my hand at all times. I take copious notes. I believe that I'm a very good listener. I know when to talk and when not to, which I think is a very important skill to learn in real estate, especially in negotiation. And I just believe that I have, again, surrounded myself with extremely 
positive people that work really hard, that strive every day to deliver really high-level customer service. And I've been very, very fortunate. I think that there's an old saying that the harder you work, the luckier you get, but it's not without hard work. And we are being blessed with so many amazing opportunities in 2017 for us. And it is so exciting to see all the hard work over the years coming to this point, seeing what lies ahead for my team and Nashville as a whole, exciting things in the city that are going on. And so it's extremely special to me to see all of this. I've even been able to name a community that's in Nashville. And so 20 years from now, if I drive down this road, I will see the name that my husband and I came up with in a brainstorming session one Sunday morning. And so that's pretty special. So I'm extremely, extremely blessed and lucky, but it is without a doubt due to hard work and really giving it 110% all the time. If you're going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? The first thing that you need to do as an agent is tell everybody that you know that you are now in the industry. I think it's really important to broadcast what firm you're with, what you're doing now, so everybody knows, so you're top of mind. And that's extremely important, you know, if you're from that area, grew up in that area, and you know so many people, because so many leads will be derived from that. But say that you maybe were like me, and you came to a city where you really didn't know anybody, and you're starting, and you don't have anybody to do mail-outs to, so to speak to let them know about this change in your life. I think that at that point, I would align myself with a mentor. You need to find somebody in the industry that you look up to. Whether they sell a lot of homes or not, that needs to be your decision, but you need to connect with them. Maybe it's just the way that they do business that you really connected with. Maybe it's that they're going to supply you with a lot of leads because you just don't have that ability to get leads right now. So those are really, really important. You always need to have somebody that you look up to, that can push you, that can motivate you. For me, before I even was in real estate, when I was in corporate, I had a entrepreneur that had ran Pillsbury and so many Fortune 500 companies that I would have breakfast with once a month. And we would just talk about business. And he recently passed on, but he was that sounding board for me for so much that has led to so much success that I'm seeing today. There are moments when you make a wrong hire or make a wrong move. And you have to be able to say, okay, I made a mistake. And to cut things loose. He always said to me, you know, be very slow fire and quick fire. If you know it's not working, let it go. You know right away if they're going to sink or swim. And so that's really stuck with me in a lot of ways. And he always said, do not stop learning. He was the one who told me during the recession, he said, you either need to go to law school or go get your MBA. What do you think? And I said, ah, I think I'm going to get my MBA. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, to have somebody that's always pushing you and checking you and Holding you accountable on goals is extremely important, whether they're in the real estate realm or not. 
So aligning yourself with that mentor, that person that you can look up to, that you can have a sounding board is key for any person that's getting into real estate. Well, Aaron, do you think that top agent interviews like this one with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Absolutely. I think that we can learn from all different types of agents who specialize in different markets, have different approaches. You know, I was literally at a panel not too long ago of top agents. And just to hear how different agents deal with different situations, how they run their teams and their structures can help other agents, you know, gain a leg up or maybe learn to do something different if they're seeing something not working for them. So I do think it's going to be an incredible pool of useful information. I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? I just think that in general, in real estate, it's ever-changing and not be afraid to try new things in real estate. But most important, I think you need to believe in yourself and believe what you're able to do and never underestimate your value to your clients and never undersell yourself because you ultimately want to be a value to them and that will lead to your success. Well, Aaron, you believed in yourself when you moved to a new market where you did not know anyone dived into the market, worked hard, and found success. You maximized your personal production at 70 closings per year as a solo agent before building a team and quadrupling your production in a single year. The foundation of your success is a high level of customer service and open communication provided by you and your team. You've reached the pinnacle of success in your market, yet I see bigger achievements ahead. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 163 homes last year with prospecting and database marketing. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.